Well, let's ask the Lord's blessing. Dear Lord God, we are grateful for this Easter. We're grateful for the salvation we have in your Son. We'd ask that we would attend to it faithfully. In your Son's name, amen. You guys going up to uh, Sunday school? Okay, see you. Nice of you to take care of your sister that way. Okay, your candy. This is all being recorded. See ya. Whose kids are those? Oh, it's Riley's. Well, you know, it's Easter, and, and, and other than the fact that we're all sort of at disjointed uh, timing-wise, you're all well-fed, you want to sleep, I will be able to see you sleeping, so there's that. They decided to discuss this all the way up the stairs. It's normal for us to, you know, look at some aspect of the centerpiece of the faith, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, is, it's a big deal. And uh, it's then difficult to avoid what passage you spoke on last year, because there are four Gospels and a few passages key on the resurrection, Corinthians 15. So you're always trying to find some new approach, hopefully not so new that they pick up stones, um, but new enough that people would be intrigued or listen to it in some way. And I was thinking about uh, one of the first, you know, according to better minds than mine, uh, first references to the resurrection of the dead is out of the book of Job. In the book of Job, um, is a very early, by most reports, book, perhaps in the late patriarchal period, certainly after Jacob and Esau, but uh, how close, not Jewish, it's, it's an early book. And I, t- I, I, I pulled it down to a few verses here. This is out of Job 19, right at the top on the right-hand side. And as you know, the story of Job, I mean, he's, he's a cliche, he's a, um, things went badly for Job. And hold the patience of Job being the cliche. And immediately following this, in response to, I think it was Bildad the Shuhite, one of his friends who came, you know, people say he's one of Job's detractors, I think of it as no. These were three friends that came um, and in, let's see, I'm wondering who he was answering. Oh, it's Bildad the Shuhite in chapter 18 of Job. And he has a long, the first few 20 verses of the chapter, Job is relating how bad it is. He's got a rough go, family dead, wife a little unpleasant bodily ailments, sores, or as Anne would put it, health issues. He says things like, I am repulsive to my wife. <laughs> the guys are also, yes, I know the feeling. 
loathsome to the sons of my own mother. Even young children despise me. He's had a rough time. By the time he gets, and this is what's unusual about Job's statement here at the end of the chapter. Verse 22, why do you, speaking to his friends, Bildad and Zophar and those guys, why do you, like God, pursue me? Why are you not satisfied with my flesh? There's an interesting phrase that, that can't you see what I'm going through? You're not satisfied with me having sores on my body, sitting on an ash heap, losing all my children to death, all my wealth, my wife saying, curse God and die, and my friends decide, after having sat with him for a comforting time, then decided to get theological with him and about what he must have done to deserve this. But it struck a chord when it said, are you not satisfied with my flesh? It's a natural place our minds go um, especially, now oddly enough, especially with issues like the resurrection. The resurrection in a lot of Christians' minds their resurrection, their promised resurrection in a lot of Christians' mind is a fixing, a wonderful fixing of that which is broke, which you have struggled with it being broke for a long time, and it has become almost the place of the answer, our fleshly redemption, our bodily resurrection. As you say, you say yes, it's not a Christian doctrine. Yes, it is. But I want to encourage you this morning to think about it a little differently, or think about it less, less inordinately. Because we can focus in our sufferings, even if it's just normal human suffering. You went through life, your teeth were good, you didn't get unduly sick, and you got to the age of 90, and you, you know, fell down a flight of stairs and went on to your reward. We're looking forward to getting things fixed, and we look at the promises of God in fixing us, and we perhaps maybe too eagerly run towards our, our, this fleshly satisfaction, a bodily resurrection from the dead. He says, oh, that my words were written. This is always a funny verse. Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. Oh, that with an iron pen and lead they were graven in the rock forever. One of the interesting things is one of the earliest pieces of literature written. Think about it. I mean, you're thinking to the patriarchal period. You're dealing with the 1500s, 1600s BC. Uh, Troy fell in 1200 long before Homer in the 700s. And this is, he's saying, oh, that people would write down my story. And at the university today, you could still have a class. Bible is literature where they'll study the book of Job for the wonderful nature of the, the literature. His, his desires were met. But then he says the more powerful thing. 
He said, if, if only someone would write this down, would write this down, what I'm going through, what I'm feeling, what's going on, what my friends are saying to me. Then he says, for I know that my Redeemer lives. He's just been, you know, crawling through calamity. His heart disturbed, his friends accusing him of crimes, his wife being difficult. He said, I really wish I could write this down. Not because I'm a Russian. Because the Russians weren't really good at finding redemption. They might get a glimmer of it. I think Sonia may have handed Raskolnikov a New Testament at the end of Crime and Punishment. But Job says, For I know that my Redeemer lives. And at last... He will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, then from my flesh I shall see God. This is considered to be the earliest representation of the resurrection of the just, where he knows that in his Redeemer, who will come to earth, even though he dies, he perishes. I think King James says, even after my flesh has perished, I know that in my flesh I will see God. And I wanted to think about that. I wanted to think about, and he says, whom I shall see on my side, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. And then my heart faints within me. Have you ever had that moment of just everything was right? Everything was good. The temperature was good. The dinner was good. Everything was good. The cigar was good. I don't know, whatever was good. You're out of the cabin, in the woods. The weather's perfect. The sun's going down. You don't have to do anything. Or you're fishing, Dave. Amen. Preach it. What are you going to do now that John has a boat? <laughs> we know those sorts of moments. And sometimes you describe it this way. Says, oh, my, my heart faints within me. You know it's a big deal. You know when you say, this is, just, this is almost too much. We were in, again, Rome a month ago. Manish and I were standing in the Sistine Chapel because we're artistic types, we talk to each other. The Philistines that were with us um, did not, but we understood. We stared at the ceiling and said, in spite of the apostasy of this place, what a wonder. What a, you just, you couldn't believe what you were looking at. You know what that's like. Well, this, today's Easter, we're about the resurrection, we're about Jesus Christ, and too often, what happens is the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord, becomes a line item in your theological budget. It is something you affirm, you know, the catechism or creedally, something you affirm. You do believe it. I don't doubt that. But we become about our own flesh, our own reward. Now, it is not untrue that you will be raised. That's, that's true. 
But you know the difference between someone who thinks about it for them and uh, it because of what caused it. You know, if you're, I'm a grandparent. And if you give a gift to your grandchildren, there are two ways a grandchild's mind can run. It will only run one of those ways, but two ways potentially. One is, grandfather, you're the greatest. I can't believe how great you are. Alex came over the other day. Grandfather, I made a bet with, I don't know, Levi Scheibe about a bike race. And I told him I'd give him a notebook if he won the race. I guess Alex didn't win the race. Grandfather, would you make me a notebook? And uh, I said, okay. Went down to my graphics office because I have that kind of gear. And I made him a notebook. Off, put it in his hands, out the door. He did say thank you. But he was... You know, he had other concerns. He had, I'm paying my debt, or at least my grandfather is paying my debt. <laughs> or I'm enjoying the candy. There's that, your parents are almost grateful that their child can say, when they hand the cookie to them, that they say thank you. They don't have to mean it. They can be absolutely insincere, but if they, the little gentleman or lady says thank you to their grandparent, you're cool. And that's what we're comfortable with in the church. We're comfortable with the person being able to say thank you to Jesus for being a raised God. And we're all worked up about the joy of eating the candy that is truly the benefit of having a grandparent. That's where candy comes from. They will give you money, they'll give you candy, they'll give you toys. I was not given these things. My grandmother was from Nebraska. I don't think they believe in toys in Nebraska. I don't think I remember my grandmother smiling, let alone cookies. She had six sons, and they stood straighter in a line when she came past. They were, they were in their 60s and afraid of her. So I don't know what it's like. But I believe, in theory, grandparents have candy. Leslie bought jars and candy to put candy in her office so her grandchildren could come over and ask her for candy. Well, this is all very fine. And Jesus Christ has given you newness of life. Jesus Christ has forgiven your sins and is going to take you to glory forever. Amen. But there are some people who think about what they're walking away. They're sticky little fingers what they're walking away with in the resurrection. Now, it's not wrong to rejoice in it. But you don't want to ever see the resurrection of Jesus Christ as not the prime moment that would make your heart faint within you. That you're far more stunned by the grandparent giving you the candy than at the taste of the candy. I have the passage here next, 
2 Corinthians 3. One of my favorite verses since the Navy. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being changed into his likeness from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Now, some of these things that are said, I want you to keep in mind this idea of reverencing and rejoicing and being having the right ordinate placement for the work of Christ and who Christ is before you start taking the pleasure in what you get. Ancient religions were devout, pious, and did many spiritual things for their gods. And as St. Paul says a couple of times, covetousness, which is idolatry. Now, I think, not because when you covet, you have an idol. I think when you are an idolater, that's what it's about. And I think a lot of Christians start to, I remember seeing a booklet many years ago by some health and wealth ministry that said, how to write your own ticket with God. That was the title. A little unnerving. Not that God doesn't do good things for his people. But we want to have the right ordinate placement of the work of Christ so that we are religiously circumspect, religiously proper. When the grandparent really knows that they have been thanked and their, their, the appreciation of their grandchild is in them. This is too good. I can't believe I have a grandparent this night. You want your God to feel worshipped. Praised. Not perfunctorily, not just because, again, it's a line item in your theology that Jesus Christ is raised from the dead. And you get, and that's where you start to get details, do you know what, the, what heaven's going to be like? I can remember, you know, with my brother talking about it over the years when we were little and Oh, streets of gold and golden foot. He was big on golden footballs, and I was much more. I was much more scientific. I said to myself, "I can't imagine catching one." <laughs> okay, we, someone heaves a golden football at you. I assume Newtonian physics would work in heaven, and gold weighs a lot. You start thinking about all that you know. You've done. You've done. Yeah sitting with some friends. Somebody looks at you, what would you do if you won the lottery? And boy, we have got that worked out. We don't know where the lottery money came from. We don't know what damage lotteries do to the economy of the people. But we all know how in detail we're going to spend it. Because we're inordinate about the good we get. It's not wrong to have a good. It's wrong to be inordinate about it. Because I'm supposed to be beholding the glory of the Lord because my change... And this is, this is where we, we sometimes are, are thinking this way, not just because we don't think about Christ enough, but because when we think of ourselves too much, we see physical redemption, the answer to our problems physically, the extension of our lives, even if we know we're extending it in glory. It is, it is who we are, our essential self, that we value and we see the benefits of God as having Evan continue forever. And people are going, once you said that, Evan, Evan continuing forever. 
He said, Lord, I've had to seek God's grace in dealing with Evan many times. I don't want Evan existing forever. Maybe the whole universe doesn't want Evan existing forever. And the Lord knows that. The Lord needs to take all of you because any of you existing forever is going to be hell. And we're not going to hell. We're going to glory, in which case we behold the glory of the Lord. Starting now, your life is about beholding the glory of the Lord. We all with, currently, unveiled face. We're being changed into a greater reward for heaven whom we all like. No. We're changed into his likeness. We're changed into his likeness. Part of the thing is we like ourselves an awful lot and we'd like to see ourselves made permanent. I have this plan. Um, probably shouldn't tell you. I'm not a prophet, nor am I very healthy, and I have bad habits. I'm going to live to 250 years old. And they're going to ask me on talk shows, how did you do it? I'm going to say, I'm not going to tell you. I'm just going to live that long just so I can say that. A lot of times we like long life because we like ourselves a lot, as is. I want to get permanence for me, because I like me. Oh, with a few changes, yes. St. Paul was about the Lord, and he saw the changes seeing the Lord would write, uh, make right in you. Verse 1 of chapter 4. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. We have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even our gospel is veiled. It is veiled only to those who are perishing. Now, I want you to think about that because it says, We with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being changed into his likeness. The world rejects the gospel because it is veiled. It can't see it. It's veiled because they're perishing. This is a distinction in your own piety that just getting it rightly placed, just saying, Lord, I accept the good gifts from you, but I want it to be about you. Not about me getting the gift. We are reading... Um, learning in wartime this last Wednesday at uh, Pipe Night. And uh, saying, why are you taking off your glasses? Well, the, the, the pulpit is at just that right distance where my bifocals, uh, I can see better without them. I can't see you at all. The guilt washing over your faces. I can't even register. I'll put them back on to get that. Back off. It's veiled to those who are perishing. You want to think of yourself in terms of, of uh, am I like the perishing? That I don't see the glory. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from what? Seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the likeness of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. When you think differently about it, 
We're not, we're tempted to be modern evangelicalism. And we preach the truth about Jesus. We have to believe the gospel. Death and burial, resurrection, blah, 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 blah. And wouldn't your life be a lot better in Christ? And we have friends we have that know their lives are a wreck. Either health problems or emotional, spiritual problems or whatever. And those things are wonderfully helped by knowledge of Jesus Christ. But we're actually supposed to be preaching Jesus Christ. They don't see the glory of the gospel that's in the Christ, who's the likeness of God. And we, he makes the decision. We don't preach ourselves, we preach him. We trust, and we, he goes on to say this and clarify this a little bit more, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who said, let light shine out of darkness, Listen to this. Who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Saying, you are the vessel of this thing. But you are the vessel of this thing. You're not Evan glorified. Or whoever you are glorified. You're not just improved goods. You're becoming more like the Lord Jesus. You're preaching him. You're looking upon him. You're meditating on what he has done. You're singing his praise. So that you, he would make you more like him. And what you carry to the world is him. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. To show that the transcendent power belongs to God and not to us. We, want to, we don't just want to have people be amazed at who you are and how much peace you have. That's a good thing for them to see. But you want them to quickly see that there's no good reason. The non-Christian world, the perishing, will always, if your children are well-ordered and you meet non-Christians, they'll say, well, you're lucky because you were given placid children. They don't naturally, or... Your life is good, so of course it's good. You say, well, it wasn't good. It was made good by Christ. It was made, we don't, but you can't always tell that. Paul had the benefit of being thrown in prison, being stoned. He goes on to say that. He says, these earthen vessels, what you have, when you are looking at a moment, not just the difficulty of Job, where he says in all of his torment, why is God doing this to me? But I know that my Redeemer lives. I know that in my flesh I will see God even though I'm destroyed. That's actually, you might say, the, the greatest opportunity. He says the earthen vesselness is not just we are but mortal clay, we are but regular folks, and you can walk through life with a lot more wisdom and peace and things to offer like that. But when, as he says in the next verse, we are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested also in our bodies. He's saying, this is the benefit of having the, road, the, 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 the life run over us like a truck. That's what earthen vessels are like. That's what, no reason to think that the good that Christ has brought 
It's not just evidence proved. This would take a deity to do something about it. It would take a God. And his death and his resurrection could bring about this change. That's what's so wonderful about uh, friends, the friends of Lydia and Drew about uh, they had prayer for last week. He said the rejoicing they go through up at Deer Park, all their they've lost one kid, they're going to lose the other two kids because of some genetic thing passed on. Dad has cancer, you know, um, life's, but they're rejoicing. He said, okay, struck down, afflicted, perplexed, persecuted. We have the opportunity in this, if we move ourselves to take what you get from Jesus and just all we're asking is that you move it the celebration in your life is not what just you got from Jesus that's who Jesus was and what Jesus did that is glory it is the change that's the change for you that's, you might say the path to the better you the better circumstance for you if it's your meditating on him with unveiled face beholding his glory you're being changed into his likeness. Verse 11. For while we live, we are always being given up to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Now, the same thing is echoed. I have a little over on the side here out of Romans 8, another favorite passage. I, I couldn't leave any part of it out because the long paragraph said, couldn't you just trim that down to one verse? Well, then, then somebody's going to come up to me and say, Evan, you the context. You left the context out. So we're going to leave it in there. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the, with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the glorious liberty of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in travail together until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Now he's talking about our resurrection. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Now, I don't want to have you going, going away thinking that your life eternal your forgiveness of sins, you being carried off to, in God's grace to wherever, um, is unimportant. It is in this hope we were saved that it would do this for us. But this is what I think we need to think more about in terms of the nature of religion. We're religious people because we have laid claim that a God, a guy, 2,000 years ago, living in the province of Rome, was God. I mean, I want you to just flat out weird, just strangeness already, but you believe that. 
and that he was crucified, buried, and raised from the dead, if you believe that. If you focus on those things in your faith, in your hope, even things you have not yet received, that you patiently wait for, you know this is bringing a good to you, but you want the good dressed the way the agent who gives it dressed it. You want their cooperation. Have you ever, you got to that sort of point at Christmas where the extended relatives give you gift cards? Because nobody can really pick adequately. I don't want, I like books, do not buy me a book. You will buy me the wrong book. I will have to be nice to you. I'll have to smile. I don't smile. And thank you for this book. It has to be put prominently in my house so that you will see it next time you're over. Don't ask me how I'm enjoying it because I'm not reading it. Don't buy me a book. Just give me a gift card to ABE Books Online. Just that's all I that's all I want. Because we know that people, when we really want something, we like gifts given to us that we really enjoy, really like. Some of your families, you know, make up specified lists and with the Amazon order number. It's, 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 it's a dark time we live in. And, you know, every shower is not just, well, she might like some towels. No, those towels at that link. Go there, they'll take your money. We really want it to be right for us. No, so much for us that we've got our own design about what our us is going to be, what Evan's greatness is going to, what library he's going to have. Don't ruin it. But here, he's got something for us that is the right thing for us. And we ought to be, when we bow the knee to our Christ and God, because he is our Christ and our God, we ought to be rejoicing in the good that he is going to do to us. The, the self he's going to make for me that is, remember the old man, Doug, what's his name again? Davis. Read this morning out of, out of uh, Romans 6. We have got we've got good things coming to us on the other side of us dying. Not just we die spiritually and are live in Christ, and then we're going to die physically and we're going to be raised in Christ. But all of those things are going to reflect we trust Christ. Now I gaze on Christ to be changed into his likeness in my spiritual condition. I'm going to die physically and it's going to rot in the ground because this old body needs to go. And a new one issued from glory. It does not yet appear what it's like. We were sharing, we had a little family meeting about my dad's circumstance this week and and Leslie shared what Rachel had said, one of Rachel's kids said about when my mother died, about eight years ago. And she, when she was told, oh, this little girl was told that grandma had died, great grandma, the little girl said, oh good. She needed a new body. Now, 
You do too. You need a new you. You need to have Christ stepping into your life, being the object of your adoration, his resurrection in your life today, being what you are gazing at, not your own, not your own viewing your own narrative that wrote up for yourself, viewing the narrative Jesus Christ wrote up for you, so that when he tells you to do something, you do it, because he's your God. And because the grace you received in meditating on him. It says in 1 John, right under that passage in Romans, 1 John 3, 2, Beloved, we are God's children now. It does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. To the degree you see Christ, whatever path of seeing him you want to use, whether you see him in a vision like the Apostle John, St. Paul, you'll be changed that way. You've meditated on him, you've looked at him in the word of God. The things that you see Christ in, you know that the non-Christian world is, trying, is seeing Christ in you. And you're seeing Christ developed in you because of your observation of him. And someday you will walk into his presence and see him as he is. And it does not, you don't know what that's going to be like, but you just know the change is all on one side. You're not going to be you no more. You're going to be you, maybe named Evan, maybe named whatever. But you'll be like the Lord Jesus. You've ever talked to my father, and you had some theological uniqueness you were trying to convince him of. And I have been in that position enough times. His basic question is, and how is this making you more like the Lord Jesus? If you want to be more like the Lord Jesus, the path is to have him have the lion's share of your resurrection meditation. Not your own resurrection, which is a good. It's a collateral benefit. It's a good. Verse 13, back on the Corinthians passage. Since we have the same spirit of faith as he who wrote, I believed, and so I spoke, we too believe, and so we speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. So you've got this collateral downline, less ordinate standing than the Lord's resurrection, but benefited by the Lord's resurrection, we raised as well. However it happens, you should get things in the right position. A real gift was given by Grandma that was really liked by the kid. Did the kid really like the gift and his own enjoyment of the gift? Or did the kid remember to like his Grandma? For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed every day. So when we walk through life and the Job moment is happening to you, or the St. Paul moment is happening to you, you know that the thing of real value and change is how close you are to the resurrection Christ. Because the resurrected Christ is renewing you every day. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Because we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen 
are eternal. We can lay aside, too often we, we view what's going wrong in our lives, physiologically, emotionally, etc., as that which needs to be our, our, our primary ground of getting fixed. And even if it's not in this life, we look at the next life that I'll get, the new body, let my mother need it. Finally, have a good night's sleep. Finally, no, my feet hurt. My feet hurt a lot. <coughs> and when I fell in Florence, my hand is still, it's getting better, Glenda. No more exercises, please. Thank you. We, we, we start to measure what will be fixed and we start to naturally think of what needs to be done and a plan. Okay, Lord, if you could just make, have a little taller, thinner, better feet, a nice tan, whatever it is you're looking for. You're looking for all those accoutrements that your resurrected self might want. When we look to things that are unseen, is it just the remedy of what you do see? It may be. But you know, we're about an eternal weight of glory that we can't compare to anything. A slight momentary affliction called life can't be compared to this. Don't treat our God as if he were an idol, that if you serve him, you'll get the bennies you want or he promises. Be looking to be made more like the Lord Jesus. Be ready to look at his resurrection. Thankful for your resurrection. But praise him for it. Praise him for a God. You died because you deserve it. You're being raised completely through no power of your own. He came to earth, didn't deserve it, willing to die, willing to be buried, willing to descend into hell. And death could not constrain him. And so he was raised. We have the power of God in the moment of history that, that is just unbelievable. The immortal died and then proved it didn't make a difference. Meditate on his resurrection, glorify it, and your life will then start to have the shape of the glory that is in Christ's. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're grateful for your son, for his love, your love, and we'd ask that you would bless us in our meditation that we'd be made as believers in the body of Christ here locally more like your son every day. No matter what happens, we rejoice. In your son's name we pray. Amen.